Oh my. There is a dangerous duality in that song. You know what I mean? The, 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 there's a dangerous duality. What I mean by that is it is super poppy and fun, yet also dark and scary. And, and I think that really encapsulates, you know, kind of the lives we try to live or at least hide. We try to maintain, you know, a lot like Easter, right? We put the decorations on. We put on the pastels, right? That's what you're supposed to put on Easter. But Easter carries a a theme of crimson red, staying very, very deep below the surface. And so there's a dangerous duality uh, to that song. There's a dangerous duality uh, to our lives. There's a dangerous duality to this holiday that we're here investigating, discovering, and, and, and celebrating. Taylor Swift says something we almost never hear. It's me. Hi. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. At least not at my house, you know. I feel like upwards of 80% of parenting is really sleuthing in crime scene investigation. Walking into a room, who done it? Why, where did these footprints, these muddy footprints come from? Where is this mess? I didn't know I'd be spending so much energy just trying to figure out where messes came from and what to do about it. Unfortunately, I'm just as much of a problem as they are. The dad who does the whole like, who put my keys over here? Where are they? Oh, they're in your coat pocket. Sorry, guys. Me, my bad. That one was on me. Rarely do we see people who say, yup, it's me, I'm the problem, I am the one that is a hundred percent guilty and I'm not going to accuse anyone else or blame shift or get this off of me, me, I'm the problem. I wonder though, could we live happier and fuller lives if we would be willing to admit that we are our own biggest problem. I remember the first time this really pierced my heart, that idea that I'm the problem and I can't blame anyone else. It was when I was going through a particularly stressful season in my life. Just just like the normal like midlife thing for me and where I was at, having three kids, uh, a dog, a family, a job, and just being stressed out. And like I can't point to like any one thing But I just lived with like a constant elevated blood pressure and just on edge and snappy and grumpy. And I can remember my wife telling me like, I don't enjoy being around you right now. Like I don't look forward to coming home because I don't know what kind of mood you're going to be in. And that just made me matter. I can remember my boss, Roy, who, who I work for here, probably seven, eight, nine, ten years ago, having a conversation with me, pulling me aside as an employee here, and just saying, listen, when you don't get your way, you kind of shut down, and that's not okay. And I remember reading this marriage book. Um, it was called You and Me Forever by a guy named Francis Chan, and I was reading this book, and it just, this line I read from Francis, it said, No one wants to be married to a joyless man. And that just pierced my heart. Because I looked at, like, the evidence of my life, and it's like, I had everything I wanted. I had everything I hoped for. I had three kids, wife, dog, 
home, job that I love, community I'm a part of. Yet inside, there still was just this angst and this kind of dead-end feeling of, of, it's me, I'm the problem. I can look at my life. I can see that I'm the common denominator. I'm the one that's stressing everybody out with my attitude. But what do I do about it? How do I fix this? Have you had those moments too where you feel like you're at a dead end? And if you have, would you be brave enough to maybe wonder to come here on Easter morning where we're going to talk about life from death? What if your moments of pure hopelessness, what if instead of them being dead ends, what if they were actually doorways into a new kind of life? Because there's a good chance you have a dead end in your life right now. Something um, that maybe you, you're trying to cover up, something you're trying to not pay attention to, but something that you've written off, something that you've given up hope over. Where do you feel most hopeless in your life right now? Can you pay attention to that? Are you brave enough to be willing to look at the dead ends in your lives? Maybe you're stuck in a dead end of unfulfilled purpose where you aren't doing what you know you're created to do. Your creativity is squashed. Your freedom is limited. You're working a job or you're fulfilling a position that brings no passion to your life. But you have to pay the bills somehow. You have to do something to provide for your family, to provide for yourself. You had a dream of what you could do with your life. You know those dreams we have as little kids? Half of them are wanting to be like dump truck drivers, right? Just grow up and drive a dump truck or astronaut, right? And then you get a little older, a little wiser, and you start to remember, oh, I, I, I want to do this. You know what I wanted to be? I wanted to be a marine biologist when I grew up. And then I realized I lived in Missouri, one of the most landlocked states in the... I'm like, this isn't going to work out. Okay, I got to find something else, right? But you find something. You find a path. You find something you're passionate about. You find something you want to do. And you think, if I just work hard enough, I'll get there. And then it doesn't happen. You find you're stuck in the dead end of a shattered dream. Again, that idea that is shattered is that if we just work hard enough and we do all the right things, eventually we'll get the good life we're promised in this world, right? But sometimes, no matter how hard you work, no matter how hard you try, no matter how many right things you do, you still don't get what you want. Bad things happen to good people every day. We're not promised any set of things in this reality. Maybe you're stuck in the, in the dead end of a promise that a specific person made to you. Someone promised to be there for you, but they didn't come through for you. They weren't honest. They wore a mask. They convinced you to trust them, and they have not held up their end of the bargain. And so in that relational dead end, you've just hit a wall. Maybe that's a wall in your marriage. 
And now every interaction that you have with the person that you confess love to is just a power struggle to get your way or they get their way. Maybe there's a dead end of a relationship you wished you had. The dead end of wondering if there's really going to ever be someone who gets you, that understands you, and that accepts you for who you really are. I think the worst kinds of dead ends are the dead ends we find in our own personalities. The flaws in our own personal fabric. The traits, the quirks, the characteristics that we're ashamed of, that we have tried to fix again and again and again, but no matter how hard we try, we just can't seem to change that piece about ourselves. You lose your temper way more than you know you should. You aren't as confident as you want to be. You don't speak up for yourself. Or you can't stop from, from worrying and getting spun up in anxiety. You wake up in the morning and all you can think about are all the things that you have to do each day. You have a hard time falling asleep at night because of the list of things that didn't get done. What if all of those pieces, all those broken, broken pieces had a place to go, had a place to die, where they could come back to life. See, we each have something in our lives, no matter how hard we try, that feels like a dead end. Something about ourselves, something about our situation, something about our circumstances, or something about someone else that we've given up on, we've lost hope for, because it feels like a dead end that we can't come back from. I'll ask it again. What if your dead end could actually be a doorway? What if any dead end you're feeling right now, what if instead of it being a place where your hope goes to die, it becomes a place where your hopes can be reborn into something bigger, something greater, something more meaningful, something more fulfilling than you ever could have planned on your own. Easter is the celebration of Jesus' life, Jesus' death, and most importantly, Jesus' resurrection. Easter about, is about learning how to let Jesus take whatever dead end you're facing and turn it into a doorway that maybe you just haven't discovered yet. Easter is about a new kind of living that only comes from a particular person's dying. Is what the Bible claims a legend a bunch of stories stitched together just to make us feel better about life and give us some kind of general purpose? Or, or is it an accurate account of something that happened so long ago but is completely accessible today? If it's just a legend, if it's just a myth, then our, our hope's going to be limited. 
Our hope's only going to be so much because we're limited, finite creatures. We can only push so hard before we give up. We can only push so hard before we fall down. But if, if this is more than legend, if this is life, then we get access into something that's completely supernatural and can break through any dead end, any hopelessness we've ever experienced in our lives. I mean, was there ever more of a dead-end moment in this world than Jesus' death on the cross? I mean, certainly not for his followers, the people that gave up everything to follow him, because when Jesus died on the cross, his people, they were completely convinced that their lives had come to a dead end. They had given their whole lives, left professions, left family members, were ridiculed, were mocked, were thrown out of their faith communities. to follow this Jesus of Nazarene, this wandering teacher. Jesus had given them a purpose and fulfillment more than they ever had before. He had promised to never abandon them and to always be with them. Jesus had given these people freedom from their own personal insecurities, freedom from their tempers, freedom from their guilt and their shame and their fear. Jesus had even brought back other people from the dead, if this can be believed. But how could this wandering teacher, this wandering prophet, bring back himself? They could not believe it. They felt stuck in the ultimate dead end of their life. Because as good as a teacher was, as Jesus was, as good as a friend as Jesus was, as good as a healer as Jesus was, when he was betrayed, arrested, tried, crucified, and sealed in a tomb, all of the hope that those people had died on the cross with Christ. They were convinced that their journeys had hit the ultimate dead end in Jesus' death. And so on that Sunday morning, following his death, when they went to the tomb where he was buried to take care of the body, what they expected was a sealed tomb. But what they found instead was an open door. This is what Luke says. The biography, one of the biographical accounts of Jesus is found in the Gospel of Luke, a man who wrote down and recorded and went searching for eyewitnesses that saw this happen so that he could write these events down and preserve them for us today. This is what happened on that Sunday morning so many years ago in Luke 24, verses 1 through 9. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed down with their faces to the ground. 
Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. I think if, if you're familiar with the Easter story, you know, at all almost, we take for granted that the story says he got up and we miss some of the details. I don't know if you catch it or not, but exactly zero, make a fist, make a goose egg for me right now, exactly zero of Jesus's closest people actually believed he was going to get up. Like, there's no one in this story that believes Jesus is going to come out of that tomb. I mean, he told them that. He had said, I'm going to be handed over. All this stuff's going to happen. I'm going to die, and on the third days, I'm going to rise again. So why did they go down to the tomb with burial spices? Why did they go down to the tomb mourning, sad? Don't you think just one person could have been like, hey, guys, remember? He said he was going to get up. Everybody went down there sad. That sucks. Jesus' closest friends didn't believe him. Do you know why? Because it's always been hard for people to get up from the dead. <laughs> like, it's never been easy. Sometimes we are like these like modern snobs that think, oh, they're these ancient people and they just believed all this mythical stuff. No! They had just as a hard time believing people got up from the dead as we do. So even though all these followers saw Jesus bring literal physical healings to people, literal emotional and spiritual healings to people, when he died, when he went into the tomb, it was a dead end. They couldn't believe that Jesus could get himself up back from the dead. Maybe that's you. You can't possibly believe that a doorway can come out of your dead end. You feel like your tomb is permanently sealed and you have no hope of your stone being rolled away. That's the conditioned human reaction that comes from living in a world that fails us over and over and over again. We're conditioned to keep ourselves from believing that the real, miraculous, supernatural can break through darkness in our lives. But I'm going to tell you what these angels told those followers in verses 5 and 6. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is living? He is risen. He isn't here. I think what has absolutely chained, changed my own personal understanding of the spiritual journey and what it means to follow Jesus is this. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good and good people better. 
Jesus came to bring dead people and make them alive. So many of us start our spiritual journeys or our religious journeys with this idea, and probably it's the culture we grow up in because we're told to be pretty good people. And so we grow up on these spiritual journeys um, that are really moral journeys. And it's all about just being better. It's this gospel of self-improvement. If I can just make myself better, then that's what's going to get me the good life. But a real spiritual journey and a personal relationship with Jesus is that. It's a relationship, not a religion, not a system of proving that I can be good enough to get into God's good grace. And so there's an incredible freedom with rejecting religion, this idea that Jesus came to make bad people good and good people better, and instead receiving that Jesus came to bring dead people, people dead in their sins, dead in their personality flaws, dead in their tempers, dead in their guilt, dead in their shame, dead in their hopelessness, and give them entirely new life. There's so much freedom in admitting that you don't have what it takes to fix yourself out of your own human energy, that you need something supernatural to break into your inner self and set you free. Understanding that Jesus didn't come to make me better, but to bring deadness, bring me out of deadness into life, allows me to regularly admit, I am the problem. It's me. I can't fix myself. There is deadness in me. There's deadness in you too, that only God can reach into and breathe new supernatural life. Why is that freeing? And not just more shame and more guilt and more condemnation. It's freeing because Jesus paid infinitely for me to say every day again and again and again, I messed up. I need help. I ain't got this. It's freeing because the weight of all my mistakes, all that I've ever made, all that I ever will make, rest on the cross with Jesus. And so now, because of what Jesus did on my behalf, there's no more punishment for admitting when I mess up. Only grace, only love, only forgiveness. And don't you know that's what blooms? <laughs> this. This is what happens when grace comes alive. When that soil in your heart, that dead brokenness, it gets tilled up and it dies and in the, and, and, and the water, it starts to become fertile. And there's life that comes from deadness. When we start to understand who Jesus really was and what he really did on the cross. Do you want to experience that? Do you want to live with the daily assurance that even death, death of any kind, 
is really just a doorway into a new kind of life. Because maybe you've been holding on to your mistakes and your failures. Maybe you think if you just try hard enough, you can fix that temper problem of yours. Maybe you think you can fix that insecurity of yours. And so you just keep holding on to it, thinking if I just try hard enough, I can make it better out of my own personal energy. You can't. It's a weed that's always going to spring back up. You and I, we need the help of supernatural resources. We need the help of a God who, through some supernatural way, could actually enter the form of a human, live on this earth, and put all of the mess on the world on his own shoulders. We need supernatural help. And what Easter celebrates is that supernatural help is available right now to us in this room. Maybe when you feel that sense of presence come over you, maybe it's not just your weird subconscious. Maybe that's actually the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's actually God reaching out to you. When you have thoughts, when you hear a voice inside say, let go, it's okay. You don't have to worry about that anymore. Maybe you're not psychotic, but actually starting to live in a hearing and responding relationship with God. Maybe you're hearing Jesus for the first time. When you hear those voices, you hear that comforting voice that says, it's going to be okay. I gave up my son so that you could have real life. The word resurrection literally means to stand up. That's what it means, to stand up. To resurrect means to stand up. And I believe we can actually imagine that happening in that tomb Sunday morning so long ago. We can imagine Jesus somehow, some way. Again, it's supernatural. It breaks the natural laws. Don't try to look for a natural explanation. Those are two different playbooks, natural and supernatural. Somehow supernaturally, in a way that breaks our understanding of physics and all kinds of stuff, in a supernatural way, somehow Jesus woke up, sat up, and stood up and began untangling himself, setting down the burial shroud next to him, and he walked out of the doorway of an empty tomb. You and I, we have the opportunity not just to hear about the resurrection, but to participate in it as well. And we can do that by every day standing up to the hopelessness in our lives, standing up to the dead-end feelings, standing up to the dead-end thoughts. We need to stand up to the doubts that we have, that we could actually be called by the Savior of the universe to follow Him. And we need to stand up, we need to resurrect ourselves against the fear and the shame that tell us to stay in the darkness of our own tombs. During our last song, our music team is going to ask us at some point to stand up. And now, if you don't want to, don't. It's really an invitation, not a command, okay? But they're going to invite us to stand up. And, and as they do that, I want you to think about that, not just as standing up because of social pressure, 
but of uh, opportunity to resurrect, to participate in standing up to a fear that you have, standing up against a place of hopelessness, standing up against something somebody said to you, a false truth that maybe was spoken over you and controls you still, to stand up against a fear about your future, something that you don't know how it's going to turn out and you're really worried about it. I want to imagine yourself again just standing up, resurrecting, with Jesus. And if you don't want to stand again, this is an invitation, not a command. Just sit. Receive the words as prayer over your life and Jesus speaking to you. Because Jesus stands ready, waiting, arms open as our personal doorway into new life. You and I, we're not really home yet, but when we celebrate Jesus Christ defeating death, we take a step through that doorway and a step closer to our eternal home. Would you guys pray with me, please? Father, this is a holiday in a, a, a tradition that spans back a long time. And so like any tradition, it's, it, it can be easy to not make it personal. We especially hear about um, Jesus and all he did and how he rose from the dead, and it lends itself more to legend than real life. And so we pray and ask for your Holy Spirit to touch us on the shoulder, to touch us inside of our hearts, to speak to us, and help us to understand that there isn't a dead end that you can't overcome. That even death the ultimate dead end is just a doorway into new life. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.